Her story is not one we tell often. Most of the sister stories in Scripture we don't talk about much. Like her story, their stories are often filled with scandal, intrigue. It's hard to preach a sermon on her that isn't PG-13 at best. Perhaps that's why we avoid her story or at least sanitize it a bit. There's a long history of Christian interpretation that suggests that she was but an innkeeper. But the Hebrew language does not support that interpretation. Wishful thinking, perhaps, but it's not in the text. She was a prostitute. Well, actually a prostituted woman. We like to act like it was a career choice, but let's be honest. More often than not, women in that field are not there by choice. They're slaves, victims, or so poor this is the only way they have to earn a living. To call her simply a prostitute holds unaccountable those men who forced her into this life. Prostituted women are owned by others, men, pimps, whose names, like in this story, usually go unmentioned. And well, to be honest, usually the names of women like her are unmentioned as well. Usually. But the writer of the book of Joshua names her. Her name is Rahab. Rahab. The name literally means pride. Pride is her name. And throughout the story, you can see her name bleeding through her character. Rahab lives on the edge of society, actually living inside the wall of the city, marginalized as far as she could on the outside. Her back is literally against a wall. Yet in the midst of her situation in life, Rahab finds pride. She knew society deemed her as powerless, yet she also knew that deep within her was unimaginable power. That day when two spies show up, she is aware of what is happening long before they are. See, on the beds of brothels, powerful men often talk. They tell stories. Hey, have you heard of the large band of nomads wandering the wilderness, coming our way? Did you hear what they did to Sihon and Og? People have been talking and Rahab has been listening. When the two men show up, she's ready for them. Now, we're stepping into this mid-story. Here's what you need to know. In last week's episode, Moses died. The Israelites had been wandering around in the wilderness, escaping after they escaped Egypt for 40 years. And now Joshua is in charge. He leads the people to cross a miraculously parted Jordan River, and they're headed straight for the city of Jericho. And this week, Joshua sends out two spies to check Things out. They are to survey the defenses, find points of weakness, report back all that they find. But what do they do instead? They arrive and they head straight for the brothel, hidden in the wall. And why? Is this an intel sinking mission? Why do you think two men just arriving in the big city after wandering for years in the countryside head to the brothel hidden in the wall? They've got other things in mind. PG-13 things. Hebrew language is, like it often is in these cases, intentionally ambiguous here. It literally says they laid there, but the Hebrew word has other connotations. They laid there 
for pleasure. Two more men in the long line of lots of men who claim to be holy, yet take advantage of Rahab and her sisters. They never ask her any questions. They don't seek out intel. They don't do what they came to do. She tells them who she thinks they are. She speaks, not they. She tells them that the city folk are scared of this band of wandering Hebrew nomads. She is the one who mentions the Lord, not them. I know the Lord has given you the land, she confesses to them. And I know the Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. She makes the confession. How did she know that? She knows what's about to happen. She knows the power of the Lord and she realizes she has an opportunity, an opportunity for salvation. Rahab is pragmatic. And she cuts a deal. She seems to have little concern for the rest of her town on the edge of society with her back against the wall. She's seen it all. She knows it all. Perhaps she thinks the rest of them have what is coming due for them. They have it coming. But her family, her mother, her father, her brothers and her sisters, these she fights for. Give me a sign of good faith, she tells them, that she will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And they respond, our life for yours. If, if you don't tell this business of ours, then we'll deal kindly with you, faithfully with you when the Lord gives us this land. Now, it could be that they didn't want her blabbing about what they were about to do, about the coming invasion And it could be they didn't want her blabbing about what they had just done when she's back in the camp telling their stories, telling their secrets. Probably some of both. Rahab agrees. She devises a plan. She sends the spies to hide lies to the king, ties a crimson cord outside her window and saves her life, her family's life, her sister's lives and the spies' lives. Now, her story isn't the story of Jacob awaking from a dream, seeing a ladder going to heaven. This isn't Moses hearing a call from a burning bush. This isn't little boy David being anointed king or Isaiah being interrupted by angels as he performs his priestly duties in the temple. This is the story of a wise woman, a woman who did not have opportunity fall into her lap. No dreams. No angels, no voices from God, just a woman on the edge of society with her back against the wall. But she knew the Lord and she knew when her chance arrived. She tied a crimson cord from the wall that her back was against and climbed out of her situation. Now, what's the rest of Rahab's story? Well, she was saved just as they promised her. The walls around her life fell down with the walls of Jericho, and she left that previous life and joined the Israelites, became one of them. Lots of legends outside of Scripture about what happened to her. But we, all, we do know from Scripture that one day Rahab had a baby boy. She names him Boaz. One day that baby boy grows up to have considerable wealth. And he meets a widow, another foreign woman like his mother on the edge of society. That woman's name was Ruth. And she has an entire book in scripture that tells her story. Ruth has a son, too, with Boaz. His name was Obed. And Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. And Jesse had a lot of sons, one of which was named David, King David, whose great, great, great grandmother's name 
was pride. One day, many years from those events, another man named Matthew sits down and writes another story. It's good news, he calls it, good news about Jesus, the Son of God. And when he begins his story in the first chapter, he draws a line from the Son of God all the way through Jewish history, back to Abraham and Isaac, Judah and Boaz. And Matthew names her right there in the gospel, names her the mother of Boaz, Rahab. Rahab, the prostituted woman from Jericho, saved by her wisdom, her pragmatism, her pride, and her Lord, the God of the Hebrew slaves and the God of foreign women like Rahab and Ruth. And Matthew tells then the rest of her story, the story of the one who came from her line, who stood with the oppressed, who dined with prostituted women. And tax collectors who ate and drank with sinners being criticized by the establishment for hanging out with people like them. And it makes you wonder, did this one, this son of God, grow up hearing from his own mother, a woman with her own questionable backstory, and hearing the story of those wise women who led the way in their own history, in their family, who trusted in God and risked it all? Did Jesus grow up hearing about his grandmother Rahab? Stories of faithful, fabulous women are often not told in our history. Their lives overshadowed by the men who had more power and intention and attention and who wrote down the stories. But everywhere you look, named and unnamed, those stories are there. They show us the way of faith. For following God isn't just about sitting back and waiting for something to fall in our laps. Blessings from God are often not inherited or just freely given. Following God means you get your back off the wall and stand up and climb over it if you have to. Following God means you stand up to your oppressors. You fight for justice and for your family. You have pride in yourself even when no one else does. Following God means you get out From the back of the bus, you cross the desert, the river, the sea, if it means protecting your family. The work, you work one job and two and more just to put food on the table if that's what you have to do. Because you believe something, something no one else may believe about you, that you are worthy, that you are good, that you are indeed beloved by God. Following God means you follow in the example of his son, the one who saw the forgotten women in his world and treated them with dignity and respect. No matter what others called them, he knew their name was pride. Aren't you glad that Rahab is one of Jesus's grandmothers? For this story of Jesus is not just his story. It's her story, too. And it's our story. It's the story of all who've been forgotten and left out. For the gospel proclaims that no matter who you are, no matter where in society you find yourself, no matter what others may say about you or what you have done, willingly or unwillingly, what has been done to you, it does not matter. For nothing in heaven and on earth can keep you from God's grace given to you. And you, like Rahab, can find your place in that family of Jesus, for we are all a part of her family. We are all called to take our place at the table with Jesus, seated with the sinners and the prostituted people of our world. We are called to stand up with pride, no matter our past, so that God can use us. That's Rahab's story. Her good news to us that she shines for us is that no matter your past, 
No matter what others may say, you can live with pride and God will use you for salvation. Amen. And let us sing number 614. I'm going to live so God can use me. Verses 1 and 2. 2's down at the bottom.